everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into our Q&A. My name is Josh. This is Dave. We hope that you're staying warm. Whenever I go outside, I got like pants, these big old boots, a hoodie, another jacket, my hood up with a hat on top of it, and then these gloves and hand warmers inside of them. Because Now, when it's you say cold. pants, you're just distinguishing the fact that you usually wear shorts. Not yes. that wearing pants is unusual for you. Yeah, I yeah, usually okay. wear right. shorts. So in the summer, <laughs> if you see me on any day other than Sunday, I'm, there's a in shorts. 95% chance that I'm wearing shorts. <laughs> so no, this is cold. Like, it, oh, believe me, by Michigan standards, this is cold. Yeah, I, I yeah. was talking to my wife yesterday. I'm like, I'm excited for Monday. She's like, why? I'm like, because it's going to be 35. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. I'm excited for it just for to be a sure. little bit warmer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, this could be a 40 degree difference. Yeah. Yep, it's, it's brutal. And uh, Dave, the Packers won. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I mean, I was... I can't. I was, again, I was cheering. I was hoping, skeptical, didn't think we would. But my goodness, we played an amazing game. And yeah. we just got rolling and it worked. So yeah. it was wild. Now you got to play the 49ers. Now so. we get to prove ourselves all over again. Yep, you got to do it again. And then you would have to do it one more time because you're... The yes, we team. will probably have to... Wouldn't it be awesome though if the Packers and Lions played in the NFC Championship? Yeah, maybe? that would be. That would be. That would yeah. be cool. Yeah. So, yep, it would. We missed you guys on Sunday for um, sure. We hate that we had to cancel, but with the roads and hate the it. weather, and it just it was the wise decision to make. Even hate though it. it stunk not being able to come together um, as a church family this past Sunday, but we are having church again this Sunday. Well, we are planning on well, we're it. Planning, yeah, so, we yes. are planning on we're it. The weather looks like it. it's going to be fine. So yeah. Yeah. we should be able to have it uh, with no issues. So we hope to see you at one of our services um, this upcoming Sunday. But today our Q and a really revolves around like six or seven questions that we mm -hmm. took and we kind of just Put them all together into one question, and it is a very broad question. So as Dave is answering this question, if I have any questions that come to my mind, or uh, Steve or Matt, who's sitting back there, they can shoot me a text, let me know. I will ask Dave those questions as we go through Ooh, okay. To, right. to break it up on this topic. So today, the one thing that we're going to be focusing on is, what is the difference between Catholics, Protestants, evangel or sorry, Catholics and Protestants, Evangelicals, and Connections Community Church? Yeah. And the questions were sort of like, sometimes they would phrase it between Catholics and yep. Protestants. or the, So it's, you know, basically, what's the difference between Catholics and what non-Catholic Christian groups, yeah. for the most part, uh, would believe? Um, and it's interesting because there are a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. um, similarities would be, I mean, both Catholics and Protestants, evangelicals certainly us as a church, uh, would say um, Jesus is God's son. Yep. They would say, we would say that the Bible is God's word. Yep. We would say that salvation comes through Jesus. Um, we would say that we need to live a righteous and holy life in this world. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of similarities. What we do find is that some of the similarities, however, begin to break down once we begin to define certain terms. For sure. So what we're going to do today is, I, I think this would be the best way to approach a general understanding of the difference. That's, go, that's to go back to when the split began, mm -hmm. uh, which is the Reformation, right. 
and what the issues were there. Because the two big issues of the Reformation are the two big, ginormous differences that actually exist between the Catholic Church and Protestant Christian denominations of all, of all stripes, right? So um, the year was 1517. Yeah, hold on just a second. Actually. Yes. Hold on. If you haven't watched last week's Q&A where we talked about communion, there is some yeah. stuff that's going to be overlapped. So Good if you're point. like, okay, I want to hear a little bit more Good point. on the deeper of that because Dave's probably not going to be able to go super deep into all of that stuff because we did do it last week. Go back and watch that one and you can either resume this one or you can watch this all the way through. Go back and watch that. But I highly Good. recommend you go back to last week's Q&A and listen to that one too because that one's really good. Good point because that so. will highlight the difference in communion, yes. but then also these issues yep. spill out into the whole communion sure. difference. So, all right, back to 1517. Back to 1517. It was what we would call Halloween, October 31st. Uh -huh. And Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest and also a professor at a Catholic college in mm -hmm. Wittenberg, Germany, um, nailed 95 theses to the church door mm -hmm. in Wittenberg. Now, the theses, that's what they're commonly called, were basically propositions for debate. Yep. And what Martin Luther were doing, this was a bold move, is he was saying there is serious doctrinal error in the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. and I want to debate them. Because if I need to be corrected, I want to be corrected. But if the church needs to be corrected, we need to correct the church. So this was a bold, yeah. bold move. Um, and after he did this, um, he was accused of being a heretic, and he was asked for all sorts of explanations and defenses. And this went on for several years. And in the year 1521, in the German city of Worms, it's spelled Worms, but that's not how it's pronounced. <laughs> Worms, Germany. <laughs> there was a church council that met. Mm -hmm. uh, and church councils were called diets, which is not how we use the word today. No. But the Diet of Worms is what you will commonly uh, see when it's, it's written. <clears throat> and they basically said, Martin Luther, defend yourself. And so over the course of several days, Martin Luther said, this is what I believe and this is why. Um, and he was given the opportunity to recant yep. and reaffirm what the Catholic Church taught, which we'll mention in a moment. And at the end of that time, he said, uh, basically, I, I, I can't recant. My conscience is held captive by the word of God. So he said, here I stand. God help me. I can do no other. So while they were deciding what sentence to pass on Martin Luther, which was essentially labeled a heretic, excommunicated from the church, and under those circumstances could also have been burned mm -hmm. at the stake, he could have been killed, he had some friends that smuggled him out of the city into a secret location. It was actually a castle somewhere in Germany where he translated the Bible into German so common people could read it. Um, and then the edict came out that he was a heretic, he was excommunicated, and a warrant was put on his, on his head. Um, there were two issues that Martin Luther had. There was the initial issue and then one that developed. And they became the two central debates, the two issues of the Reformation. And they're known primarily by their Latin titles. The first is sola fide, 
And the second is sola scriptura. Sola fide means by faith alone. Yep. And sola scriptura means by the scriptures alone. And those are the two huge differences between the Catholic church and the Protestant churches, all right? So let's talk about each one of those two issues. And we'll start with where Martin Luther did, which was was faith alone. Mm -hmm. Here's what the Roman Catholic Church taught and continues to teach. How is a person, the question is, how is a person justified before God? How are you saved? How do you get a relationship with God? How do you go to heaven when you die? All right, that's what all of that means. And here's the Roman Catholic teaching. It's that um, salvation comes only through the person and work of Jesus. So far, so good. But how is the salvation that Jesus made possible accessed by any human being? And here's what the Catholic Church teaches. Number one, you have to put your faith in Jesus. Second, you have to receive grace, saving grace, through the sacraments. What's a sacrament? A sacrament is a ceremony Mm -hmm. that is performed, that you enter into, that Catholics say confers grace. In other words, the life of Jesus is imparted, at least in part to you, you receive grace for forgiveness and salvation through the sacraments. So you believe in Jesus and participate in the sacraments. There are seven of them. Um, Two of them are shared, even though they mean different things, with Protestants. There's a baptism and communion, usually called the Eucharist in the Catholic Church. But then there's um, confirmation, and there is confession, and there is um, uh, the uh, anointing of the sick, um, and then there's also uh, marriage and ordination. Now, not everybody gets married, but it is one, and obviously only priests, for the most part, get ordained, but those are the seven sacraments that confer saving grace, at least in part. So if you will believe in Jesus and participate in the sacraments, you will receive saving grace so that you can go to heaven when you die. So if you don't do the sacraments per the Catholic faith, then you truly aren't saved? Then you are only partially saved. So purgatory. Bingo, that's the very next step. Because what the Catholics will say is, is that because almost no, very few people are good enough that they have no sin to atone for when they die. Right. So what purgatory is, according to the Catholic catechisms, is an opportunity for people who, and I'm going to quote here, who die in the grace and friendship of God to be able to Um, atone for their sin or suffer for their sin so that they can be fully purified and go to heaven. So what the Catholics would teach is that if you believe in Jesus, um, then um, you're, you're in God's good grace and friendship. But 
what you then need is to go through the sacraments and then to whatever degree you still need to atone for sins, go through purgatory until finally you're purified of all your sins and then you make it to heaven. So it's a, it's a both believe in Jesus and you got to do works and you have to pay a certain amount of atonement for your own sins. Um, and by doing this, then you're able to eventually make it to heaven when you die. So that is the Catholic teaching of justification or salvation. Mm -hmm. um, it comes through Jesus, but to access it, you believe in him and participate in the sacraments. Whatever sins aren't washed away in the sacrament are then atoned for in purgatory. And then eventually after enough purgatory, you make it to heaven. Right. In purgatory, you can pay for what the Catholics call venial sins, which are minor category sins. If you die with mortal sin, then there, there's no hope for you. Okay? So even if you believe in Jesus and you've gone through these sacraments, if you die with mortal sins, which whatever is within that category, you're just, it doesn't matter. If you if you commit mortal again I'm 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 doing my best to summarize Catholic teaching right and you're not a, you're not a Catholic priest you're not an expert in this I do want people to know that Dave is not an expert he has done a lot of research but by no means right are so you a, what so, so. that's exactly right Josh I'm simply trying to report as fairly as I yeah. can what Catholics teach so I've Absolutely. I've read the firsthand sources right. you can you can commit a mortal sin and still be forgiven by going to confession. Mm, okay. okay, that makes sense. And then if you go to confession, you receive grace, so you can you can overcome that mortal sin. But if you if you die without any unconfessed mortal sin, then there's there's there isn't any hope, because purgatory is for venial sins, not mortal sins. So that's the Catholic a summarization of the Catholic view of how a person's justified, made right with God, can go to heaven when they die, saved, all those all those things. Here's what Protestants believe. Here's what Martin Luther said and what Protestants believe. That yes, salvation comes only through the person work of Jesus. Agree 100% with that statement. However, the way that that salvation is accessed by an individual is by faith alone. Believe in Jesus, period, nothing. And the reason that Protestants believe that a person is made right with God on the basis of faith alone is that is it, it, I, I, let me put it this way. The reason the Protestants believe that the Catholics got it wrong is basically twofold. Number one, because the Bible teaches consistently that salvation is never brought by any works a human being does. Mm -hmm that it is by grace and grace alone. And what I wanted to do was I actually jotted some verses down because I wanted to make sure that I was quoting the verses correctly right. and, and see how we understand it. So in essence, I mean, let's think um, first of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, mm -hmm. one of the most common verses to go to, which says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So what we're being told there is that this is a gift. Yeah. A gift isn't something you work for. A gift is something someone else paid for you and offers you at no charge. The Bible also says in the book of Titus, in verse, uh, Titus 3 and verse 5, 
He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. There is no righteous thing we can do that will enable us to be saved. It is entirely the mercy of God. We're told in Acts 10, verse 43, all the prophets testify about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's belief in Jesus alone that forgiveness of sin is granted. What Martin Luther did is he actually was was studying the book of Galatians, particularly chapters two through four, repeatedly say it is by faith alone, not works of the law, not good good deeds we have done. It is faith alone. There's a statement that Paul made in the book of Romans chapter 11 and verse 6, which is so insightful on this one. Here's what Paul said. Um, He said that, um, um, and since it is through God's kindness that we're saved, then it is not by good works. For in that case, grace would no longer be what it really is, free and undeserved. Mm. So you can't mix works and grace together. It's one or the other. The Catholics say it's both, but a Protestant will say it is only by faith. And once we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we place our faith in him and him alone, then all of our sin is forgiven. We are made right in the sight of God. We are reconciled in relationship with God, and that's a permanent arrangement. Okay, so that's the first reason that Martin Luther said, no, I can't, I, can't, I, I can't buy into the Catholic doctrine because it's not faith and some righteous works that we do, it's faith alone. His second reason for saying it can't be true is because of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Because in essence, what Catholic teaching says is that his sacrifice on the cross, his suffering is not sufficient It takes his suffering and your own in order to actually be purified of sin and be right in the sight of God. And again, by going to the scriptures, it's like we go, that that can't possibly be true. 1 John 2 and verse 2 says this, for Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the atoning sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It says in the NIV version of this verse when it translated, he's a propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. That is a big word. And propitiation simply means it's the act that satisfied both the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and the justice of God. It was the sacrifice of Jesus by itself that satisfies God's needs for judgment not our sacrifice that we make in any way. We're told in Hebrews 10 and verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. A single sacrifice. It's the work he did, not any suffering we do that atones for sin. And then a final verse, 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For it is by his wounds that you have been healed. Mm. By his wounds. Not by our wounds. His suffering, not our suffering. 
So Martin Luther looked at this and said, there is no way our own sacrifice, our own suffering can atone for a single sin. It's entirely the sacrifice of Jesus. Well, and we can, I, I will piggyback off that because we can see that throughout the entire Old Testament. The amount of times that the Israelites were in slavery and they were suffering and their suffering didn't cover their sins. They still had to sacrifice the lambs, they still the goats, all of that. Like So the suffering that they were experiencing didn't cover any of the sins that they had. It didn't cover any sins at all. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, we're told on several occasions that the offerings that they made and the sacrifice of an innocent animal Mm was insufficient to atone for sin. Mm. They all pointed, and this is the book of Hebrews, it's all going, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types or metaphors. It took the sacrifice of Jesus to atone for sin because any other suffering is incapable of doing it. Yeah. So that's the first big difference that the Reformation highlighted. And that's the difference on how does one access the salvation Jesus brought. In Catholic teaching, believe in Jesus and receive grace grace through the sacraments Mm -hmm. and suffer for your own sin in purgatory until you've suffered sufficiently and then you can be purified and go to heaven. Protestants, faith in Jesus alone. Our works are suffering, incapable of atoning for either even one sin. Huge difference. Because it's answering the question, how do I get right with God? How am I saved? Mm -hmm. And if we're trusting in Jesus and works, we're not. But if we trust in Jesus alone, we are. So it's a huge difference. Now, here's what's interesting, and this brings us to the second big difference between Catholics and Protestants. When Martin Luther explained all of this, before the Catholic scholars of the day. One of their responses was, that's very interesting, Martin Luther. Who are you to tell us what the Bible means? You're arrogant for believing you can tell us what the Bible means. The church will tell you what the Bible means. That's what gave rise to the second creed of the Reformation, Sola Scriptura. Because Martin Luther basically said this, church councils, um, the wisdom of the ancients, the church fathers are all good and helpful. But a Christian does not need anyone to give them the authoritative interpretation of the Bible. It can be understood on its own and nobody has the authority to tell us this is how you must interpret the Bible. So here's what Catholics believe. They believe that the church is the infallible interpreter of an infallible Bible. In fact, here's what they will say. They will say there is no value in an infallible book if you don't have an infallible interpreter. And the church has the authority to determine what the proper interpretation is of various verses of the Bible. So if you want to know what the Bible actually means, the church will tell you what it means. 
Yeah, and that also, I will add to that, mm-hmm. that also ties in. So the printing press didn't become a thing until like about 100 years beforehand, well, less than 100 years beforehand of this time, middle of the 1450s. But also the the common people, if they even knew how to read, correct, there was not a Bible in German until Martin Luther translated it over. He translated it, that's correct. To the German there were word. ones available so, in Latin, that was yeah, it. But a, a lot of them didn't know how to read Latin. That is correct. So whenever they're going to church, that's the only time they're hearing the that scriptures. And when you're up there and you know those people can't read, you can teach whatever you want because they don't know how to question it. So exactly. that, that's yep. why this whole thing was so mind-blowing at the time was because questioning that kind of stuff just wasn't a thing. Oh, yeah. Questioning the church yeah. was absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. In fact, even... Even hundreds of years later, um, there would be one copy of the Bible in any given town, and it was in the church, and even if you wanted to read it, you had to go there to get it. What made Martin Luther particularly thorny for the Catholics is that he had access to the Bible, he could read the Bible, and it was his reading of the Bible that made him say, you guys got this wrong. In fact, he was not only a priest, he was a theologian that taught in... what we would call seminary, okay? Um, so he said, we don't need you to tell us hmm. what it is that the Bible means. Catholics go, nope, we are the infallible interpreters of the infallible word of God. And when the church determines that a passage of scripture means whatever, that is the correct interpretation of the Bible. Martin Luther said, and Protestants believe, that that is incorrect. They believe that the Bible was written so that any Christian could understand it when the proper conditions were met. And I want to talk about what those are because all these are really, really important. First, that the Bible was written so that people could understand it simply by reading it. Martin Luther went to the following verses to to demonstrate what he said. Uh, The first is uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. Here's what it says. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's a very interesting construction in the Greek. It could mean, on the one hand, that nothing found in the Bible, which is what prophecy of the Scripture means, um, was simply invented by the prophet. But as it says in the next verse, the Holy Spirit carried them along into what was written. But technically what it means is there isn't anything you find in the Bible that is of private interpretation. In other words, only an enlightened few can tell you what it means. It's public domain It's available to everyone. And this is backed up by other verses. We're told in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, where Paul is writing to Timothy, he says from infancy, which it really means since you were a little kid, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Now, wise in salvation is not only being born again, being saved, but also in living a saved life. It's the scriptures alone without somebody telling you what they mean that can give you the wisdom to be able to guide your life. And of course, in Acts 17 and verse 11, there was a church commended for the fact that they would not just accept 
from an earthly authority what the Bible said, but they search the scriptures on their own to make sure that what that authority told them is what the Bible said. Yeah. And that's the Christians at Berea. It says the Bereans were more noble uh, than the Christians in Thessalonica, another town Paul had visited, because they received what Paul said, but then searched the scriptures daily on their own to see whether or not what he said was so. So a Protestant will go, any Christian can properly interpret the Bible under the right conditions. Yep. And this becomes important because there were three conditions, if you will, mm -hmm. for this being done. The first is you had to properly study the Bible. We're told in uh, the book of, of, of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 that we're to be diligent to present ourselves a worker, a servant, mm -hmm. that could, God can improve of, how? By correctly handling the word of God. Some interpretations or translations say um, rightly dividing the word of God. And what's fascinating about this particular term is it was a tent maker's term. A tent maker, when they were going to make a tent, they would make it out of animal skins. There were no animals big enough that you could make a whole tent out of it. So what a tent maker would carry would be tent patterns that he would lay down on animal skins, cut around the pattern, and then when he had cut all the patterns out of the various skins, would sew them together to make the whole. And what's interesting about that term being used is it meant that that to correctly handle the Bible meant that you would be able to piece together what the Bible said here and there and there, and using the Bible to interpret the Bible could fit together in one cohesive understanding of what the scripture says. Words matter, grammar matters, context matters, culture matters, circumstances matter, and by wrestling with all those things and really studying the word of God, that was the first condition. I mean, Josh, how many people you know that read a verse and then came up with an interpretation without studying mm -hmm. all of the elements of that verse, like the grammar, the original wording, the circumstances, the culture, all that kind of stuff. They come up with crazy stuff. Yep. You got to study the Bible. Yep. That was the first context. Sure. The second context is the corrections of the church body. Now, in Acts chapter 15, there was a debate that arose as to how much of the Old Testament law New Testament Christians needed to embrace to live a saved life. So they called together church leaders and they debated it. And then as they debated it, they said, okay, this is what the Bible clearly means. Yep. Because we've run it by each other, we've debated it with each other, We've clarified with each other, and now we're good. So a, a second principle or condition would be, what do other people say about the interpretation of that passage of Scripture? Look, if you have an interpretation that nobody else has, you should probably go, eh, I might be in error here, mm -hmm. because God wants people to understand it. Nobody understands it that way. Probably don't have the right interpretation. So the body of Christ helps to us to understand what it means as we debate and, and interact with each other. And the third is the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Because without the Holy Spirit who lives in the believer yep. to enlighten us as to what the Bible means, then 
we're probably not going to get it right. And again, there's a very famous passage of scripture. It's a little longer at three verses, but let's digest this for just a minute. This is found in, in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 to 14. It says, and God has actually given us his spirit, not the world spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. And in context, it's the wonderful things God has given us that we learn about in the scriptures. That's the context. When we tell you this, we do not use words of human wisdom. We speak in words given to us by the spirit, using the spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Paul is basically saying in inspiration, I'm not just giving you the ideas that the Holy Spirit has prompted, but the very words the Spirit wants to convey the ideas. Then he says this, but people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because because only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit means. Mm. Only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit means by the words the Spirit inspires. So the Holy Spirit helps enlighten us as to the meaning of a passage Mm -hmm. of Scripture. So, the right conditions for any Christian being able to rightly understand or interpret the Bible are, number one, you've actually studied it, not just read it. You've also run it by other Christians who've also studied the Word of God and all throughout church history in contemporary ways, and you're really being enlightened and guided by the Holy Spirit. Under those conditions, any Christian can interpret the Word of God. So a Protestant rejects the notion that there is an infallible church, the Catholic Church, that gives us the infallible interpretation that we have to accept. That's what sola scriptura means. The authorities in God's word alone, not any group of people to tell us what it means. These are the two major differences Mm -hmm. that exist today between the Catholic church and Protestants, evangelicals, connections, community church. Sola fide, sola scriptura. Catholic church A person is saved by believing in Jesus and participating in the sacraments and purifying their venial sins in purgatory. Protestants, a person is saved by faith in Jesus, plus nothing, minus nothing, sheer grace, not works. And then when it comes to authority in what is actually true, the Catholic Church, we will tell you, we will give you the infallible interpretation of the infallible word. The Protestant Church we can understand what the Bible means on our own if we're saved and have the Spirit and we go through the job of studying the Word of God, we balance it with what church history and other Christians say, and the Spirit of God is the one enlightening us along the way. Those are the two huge differences between the two. Yeah, that's really good. A lot of information. A lot of information. Again, I say this, I feel like, every week. But the great thing about technology is you can go and you can pause it, you can rewind, you can listen again. I Again, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to last week's one because it also goes into the communion differences. Yes, it differences. does. That's correct. Um, so we kind of, we're just hitting all the different things right now. I, this is the biggest yeah. overview. This is truly a 30,000-foot view of the differences. But all the other differences pretty much flow from these. Yeah. No, this is really good. I think that it would benefit if within the next coming weeks, if we do kind of stay on this area, if we did like a 
like uh, if you've ever written a research paper before, there's always the counter argument. That's correct. Part, if we could look at some of the scriptures that the the Catholics use, that is to, a great idea to Josh. support this. So, in, in fact, what, what we'll what we'll do next week, unless there's something that demands we go yeah. a different way, is we'll we'll do our best to present how would a Christian, how would a Catholic yeah. rebut what I said, and then we'll dive into that. Right, because whenever you were talking about um, we're, we're saved by faith alone, which mm-hmm. it, my mind immediately went to, well, the Bible also talks about that we are known by our fruit. Well, some people correlate that fruit to work, so how do we? Absolutely. How do those two scriptures balance against each other? Because there Absolutely. are no contradictions in the Bible. So how do we go about looking at the full context of that? So yeah. I think that could be really beneficial. Next week, I'm going to come with my Bible. That would be fun. That will be fun. And so. you can play devil's advocate if you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. That's I'll, always the most fun position to play. I'll ask the questions. <laughs> okay. So if you guys have any more questions at all about this topic, because we know this is a lot, and we only covered, I mean, those two major things, which mm-hmm. are the two big differences, but I could imagine there are some other little small ones. Many um, others, yeah. Throughout. Right. So if you have any questions about this, you can go to my3c.org to... There we go. To the top of the page, um, there is a submit a question tab. You can go on there. You can put it. It's totally anonymous unless you want us to know who you are so that we can get in contact with you. Um, and if you do share your name with the question, we will never, ever put your name up here on the screen right. um, with the question. That's only if you want to get some more information from personally from myself or Dave. Um, so if you have any questions at all, you can go to my3c.org, submit a question tab at the top, totally anonymous. We really encourage you to do that. We're able to do these Q and A's because you guys submit questions. Yeah. So that can be on anything in the Bible that can be on anything we've talked about in past Q and A's. It can deal with our message, anything at all. We encourage you to submit a question and we will eventually get to that topic. God willing, we will. Cause yeah. we catalog them all. Yes, we do. And then we use that to determine what's a particular topic yeah. as we move forward. Right? So, and we'll try to over the course of a few weeks, if we're able to clump like a group together. Mm-hmm. So like last week we talked about the differences in between communion with Catholicism, Lutherism yeah. and the two Protestant views. And now well, Lutherism is Protestant. Anyways, and now we're talking about the two, the two major differences between those. So we're kind of keeping them. It's really true. Group, yeah. Group together. So we're, we're going to, Keep doing that the, right. the, the best that we can throughout all of this. So we hope to see you guys at one of our services on Sunday in person, 820, 940, 11 o'clock. If you're not in this state or you're not able to make it in person, we would love for you to join us at 925 for our second service because we always start with a pre-show beforehand. It helps you keep you plugged into everything that's going on here at the yep. church. Um, then we'll dive And it's into, just fun. Yeah, it is fun. Then we'll dive into <laughs> some some worship. A message, we're going to continuing, continue The power of we, yeah, yep. The power of we. Um, and then at the end, we have a post-show where we dive a little bit more yeah. into the message. So I highly encourage you, um, if you can't come in person, to tune in to that online service starting at 925 this upcoming Sunday. Um, you guys are great. Again, if you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to submit them. There are no dumb questions. We want to be able to answer your questions. We hope you have a great day. Stay warm, and we will see you, hopefully, on Sunday.